this is the Booked Table podcast, your audio book club. Uh, I'm Annie, and I'm joined by Fee. Hey. And Sophie. Hi. In this episode, we're talking about the books that defined us. And in particular, because we needed to narrow it down a bit, we're talking about the books that defined us as sort of children and teenagers. Um, and... This was my idea for an episode because I think when I look back on my life, often I think about it in terms of the books I was reading and the books that was, you know, the books that became part of my life. And I especially wanted to start this because I feel like our friendship started because of a book that I think meant a lot to us and also defined a period for us. And that is um, The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. What a time. What an era. I know. It was... So I looked this up, um, we met, I mean, the two of you had known each other, the two of you were at the same school, I moved to that school in April 2011, and then January 2012 is when The Fault in Our Stars came out, and I read it first, and I read it several times, I had pre-ordered a signed copy, um, but that's not impressive, every single first, like, first edition was signed, pre-ordered, signed <laughs> copy, read it over and over again and one day I had it in my locker and I was talking to you Fee and I lent it to you and yeah I remember yeah and I remember like we were in the corner of the classroom and I was just like oh I've heard about this book I've heard it's really good and you were like well do you want to read it and I was like but it's signed it's signed in green sharpie by John Green are you (laughs) sure you can trust you barely know me can you trust me (laughs) <laughs> yeah, little did you know that my entire thing is lending out books to people so they feel you know even more inclined to read them I will just lend you a book and then you have to read it I hadn't read any of John Green's stuff um at that point I just heard um <laughs> I think I was just getting into like booktube and stuff like that and like I'd come out mm. of my Hunger Games reading phase I was ready for something new something a little lighter something <laughs> lighter well <laughs> are we are we going there <laughs> what stars, lighter? <laughs> yeah do you know what I don't know what was lighter you know like two two teenagers with cancer or you know basically overthrowing the government and you know being involved in a in a governmental killing game yeah. it 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 felt lighter than than that. <laughs> Something that was, you know, personal rather than structural issues. Anyway, so the two of us read it and we chatted about it together and I'm pretty sure Fee, you told Sophie about it and Sophie said she wanted to read yeah. it as well, I believe. And then I was just like, Yeah, no, lend my copy around. I made the mistake of reading that book on the bus home from school every day and I got to the point like I got near to the end and stuff and oh my gosh I just started kind of crying not like bawling you know not like everybody staring at me you know thinking oh my gosh she's having a breakdown on the bus you know but enough for the woman in front of me to look back concerned and wanting to say something but also being from London she was like I'm not going to talk to a stranger. Forget it. You I can respect cry there. <laughs> Londoners for not talking to strangers on the tube. I think, like, it's 
good. I appreciate it a lot. When someone strikes up a conversation with me, I'm like, I'm just trying to sit here. Don't talk to me. I'm pro, pro, ig- you know, ignoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, oh, that's why I wear my earphones all the time. I'm just like cleaning out yeah, the world. Yeah, I know enough people. You know. Yeah, I deal with people already. Like, I just well, that's a good really question. Can you listen to them. music while you read books? Yeah, I do. I do. I have a playlist that I listen to. Yeah. Sometimes I listen to classical. Mm, there you go. I'm a multitasker. I but I I like my Spotify yeah. hours are through the roof. <laughs> Like the fact that I only listen to a few songs from a certain band, and they're like, "You're the top one percent of their like that of their fans that listen to them." I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is how much I listen to the same song over and over again." Yeah. So anyway, you were reading it and openly sobbing on the bus. Yeah, openly sobbing, um, and then mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, it made me cry, so it must be a good book." Because um, that's my that's my theory with with films as well. Because I cry at literally every film, um, pretty much every good film that I've okay. seen, I've, I've cried somewhere. But Kung Fu Panda, yeah. too. I always... my friend looked at me and she was like, "Why are you crying?" And I was like, "He was a baby, and he had to be left by his mum." Like I describe myself film. as a cheap crier. You know, I'm a cheap crier and yeah. I'm also a cheap laugh. I will laugh and cry at anything. <laughs> yeah. Those are the best sorts of people, though. You know, you get the reaction. Yeah. You get, you get some reaction to yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. So then, sort of, you know, tracing it along, my tear-stained copy of The False and Our Stars finally yeah, gets passed on to you. Yeah. <laughs> I did... No, no, no! It just makes it more of an artifact. Yeah, it carries the emotion behind it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no! Then it got to me, and I did not yeah. cry, but I think it did make me very emotional. And at the time, like, I think I'm more likely to cry at like books and films like now than when I was a teenager. But I do remember like getting it being like very close to making me cry when I got to the end. So like, that was yeah. a sign that that book hit hard. I was like, oh, sh- this is, mm. I'm getting very emotional. But yeah, yeah, no, and I loved it. And I must have, because like, I realised I have a copy, so I don't know if I read Annie's and then I was like, I love this book, and then went out and got a copy myself. I don't know exactly what the... I did get a copy myself. I got a paperback copy. I know where those copies came from. They're black, right? No, mine's blue. With a blue... Oh, no, wait, I have two. One of them is black and one of them is blue. Yeah, so... Do you remember when we went to see John Green speak? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a free event and we all got given a copy. Yeah, we did. Oh. Oh my gosh. Because I did give that black copy away to a friend. Because you had another copy. See, I I now... Um, I, I, I do think as well, everyone at that yeah. event had a copy of The Fault in mm. Our Stars already. So Lord knows what they were doing. But... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I wasn't even promoting The uh, Fault in Our Stars. No, I was promoting... One. It was the one with Cara Delevingne and... and no, do you know one. what it was? It was Penguin promoting a charity initiative. There was like a going to be an all-night readathon oh. um, to raise money for kids with cancer. And... Like, if you look at your copy, it will have information about, I think it was called The Night of Our Stars, something like that. 
And so in giving that copy to a friend, you spread the message oh, around. Oh, okay. Whereas, okay. yeah. But there you yeah, go. Even before that, you all both went out and bought it's your really own copies. Book. So it was obviously a very good book. Yeah, I gave it to my mum to read. Yeah. And she loved it. She oh. She's part of the fan club, really. Um, and then she gave it back to me and she wrote she wrote a little something for me after she read it in my book in the book. So that's my favorite copy. So I'm just gonna keep that forever, probably. I was gonna say that's so that's so meaningful. Yeah. That that's such a nice thing for her to do. I love doing that. I love seeing it in books, like because I went to an old bookshop in in Henley and they were selling books like quite cheap. And I found this like Greek mythology book and it said um for Gladys um Merry Chris Merry Xmas 1907 and I was like whoa this is mad somebody wrote this in 1907 and wrote Xmas because she couldn't be bothered to write Christmas just like us and I thought that was pretty cool. I can't believe they're using Xmas in 1907 I, know, I, I, like, I thought that would be a one one thing I know that's what blew my mind there's this American political campaign that's saying that using Xmas is taking the Christ out of Christmas. No, X is a very common, in the like 18th and 19th centuries, it was a really common shorthand for Christ. Um, yeah. So Xmas originated from X being a shorthand for Christ. So if anyone tells you Xmas is taking the Christ out of Christmas, be like, no, you just don't know enough about Christ. <laughs> This so John Green, like that's kind of what started started our friendship, I guess. And I have the same birthday as him, so yeah. I thought it was fate, really. I was gonna say, I think I I think I said I've said this to you before, but I don't know if I I think there are teenagers out there who became John Green teenagers because they love the books, but I think the three of us were already the kind of teenagers mm. who were very inclined to that kind of book. And the thing it did for us is it found us a like-minded community. You know, the three of us have always like talked about books, but talked about books in that sort of um, yeah, very yeah. self-conscious, clever, anxious sort of um, perspective. You know, I think there's a there's a it, <laughs> we all love the book because we all related to the teenagers mm-hmm. inside it, yeah. and so it was a really great way for us to bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. Because we were all I think it was people. like our version of Catcher in the Rye. Because yeah. I went, when I was talking to my dad about it, he was like, oh, Catcher in the Rye yeah, was definitely. like my favourite book because it was like the first book I read that was like from a teenage perspective while I was a teenager and felt like it wasn't being oversaturated with like all these fancy, you know, thesaurus words mm-hmm. and like making it a piece of art, but rather just a real life account of a story that's going on. And I think that's what made it so um, close when you read, like you felt so close to the stories when you read it because it felt like, you know, you could be talking like that. Not necessarily, like, I did think it was cool, like all their kind of like sarky traits, you know, like, oh, I know all the famous people's last words or whatever. You know, we were just that kind of teenagers where we were like, yes, we are. We are intellectually 
superior. We yeah, we're, we we're smarter than you, teacher. Like, like this is my opinion. <laughs> That's one of the things about those books. They had these really smart teenagers who also knew they were smart <laughs> and were self consciously like creating an image of themselves as smart. I often think being a teenager is hard because you're trying to work out how to be a person. Oh yeah, and you do all of these awful, like, really self-conscious things because you have such a clear idea of the person... You have almost a too clear idea of the person you want to be. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just being yourself, you're trying to do things that the person you want to be would do. And that's sort of perfectly captured in all of the, like, obnoxious teenagers who, when you're a teenager, seem so cool and so sure of themselves oh, in yeah. John Green novels, you know? Uh, Augustus, you know, yeah. with his whole, oh, I put the cigarette in my mouth, you put the killing thing between your lips, but you don't give it the power to do the killing. And I know, everybody read that and was like, you know, Hazel wow, up. Hazel. that's amazing. That's so cool. <gasps> that's so yeah. poetic. You know, it was that. But but also yeah. that is so true, Annie, like on that point, because you're trying to figure out who you are in a, like in a bunch of systems that are trying to tell you to be something that caters to the system. And you're like trying to like, whether that's the system yeah. of school, of capitalism, of oppression, you know, like that, that force is pushing on you while you're trying to grow and figure out what you like in this world and what you gravitate towards even if it's not part of the uh, curriculum but at the same time i think you being a teenager is also about best way i can describe it is that you want to be different but you want to be different in the same way that other people are different you know yeah you want to be you want to have a quirk but yeah. A cool one. Have you ever seen the first episode yeah. of Dairy Girls where Alfie goes yeah. to where she wears the school year and they've all decided to wear jean, jean jackets, jackets instead of blazers and her mum yeah. won't let her. And she says, you know, so her friend turns up in a in a denim jacket and she's like, what happens to wearing denim jackets and being an original? And she goes, oh, sorry, my mum won't let me. And the first one goes, well, screw this then. I'm not being an individual by myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's being a teenager. That, you is, know? that is such it's a like, good I am an individual, but I can't, you know, which is one of the reasons why it was nice. You know, we were three individuals together, you know? Yeah. A clan yeah. of individuals. I'm kind of nostalgic. I would not go back there if, if you, you paid them. Oh, yeah, I agree. I would not. But I am also slightly nostalgic. But the thing is, is that being in your 20s is just like a different type of yep. teenager. <laughs> it's just like different different pressures. Yeah. But it's still the same feeling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's being a teenager, but with bills. Yeah. And, and but also wanting responsibility and not want. It's just that same kind of kind of cycle of wanting more responsibility and actually not wanting responsibility yeah and then you then you hit like actual I... responsibility and you look back and you're like why didn't i just accept the lack of responsibility and enjoy God. it yeah i used to so badly when i was a teenager 
want to live by myself because I thought that was the ultimate mm. independence. No one depends on you. You're making enough money. You're paying rent. You and now I'm like living by myself is good, but it was so nice when someone else paid the electricity bill, and it was so nice when someone else set the Wi-Fi up. Like it's just being an independent adult is not all it's cracked up to be. It took me so. Yeah. It took me literally a month to get my Wi-Fi set up. Anyway, not relevant. Um. Uh, how do you remember when the I was I was just going to talk were you going to talk about the film because I was going to talk about the film yes because I was going to talk about the film I'm pretty sure it's imprinted in all of our minds that I had that you guys had to hold my hand and comfort me for 10 minutes <laughs> after the credits had gone yeah. and I was just a blubbering mess like I the like our other friend yeah. that was there she was genuinely concerned about me <laughs> after that she was like are you okay I think today? so it was it was two things it was the film itself is a really good adaption of the book it's very faithful the john green was involved in making it which i think shows in (laughs) how it's a sort of good faithful adaption Mm. but also i think it was such a defining moment for the four of us for the four of us no for the three of us for the three of us and our imaginary friend um yeah It was such a defining moment for the three of us because it felt like a monumental moment. It felt like something big in our lives as well. And it was kind of emotionally overwhelming. (laughs) I remember, Mm. and this is deeply, deeply shameful now to look back on it, because we did, the three of us made plans to go and see it. And we were like, we have to see it together and we'll see it on opening night opening evening opening afternoon probably um and so we arranged to go mm. after school and we got the tube in but by that point it had become a kind of popular book and it was a film that it was you know like a popular teenage film and like yeah. a whole handful of girls from our year were also going to see this film yeah and i didn't say it out loud but i remember being really resentful of like this is our book mm-hmm. we liked it really early on you know i reckon within a couple of months of it coming out we had all read it together and that had solidified our friendship but it was also we were very early adopters and it's that teenage thing of like no no no, no this is my thing this is our thing guys why are you here we own this which now of course seems totally ridiculous but it was such a strong <laughs> feeling at the time of like this is such a big emotional moment for us but I still get that feeling with music. Like as soon as somebody catches onto my band, or the or they're in the top forty, that song's in the top forty. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, but I found it first. I should get a prize or something See, for having good taste. I was gonna say, I no longer feel like other people can't like my stuff, but I still, and it's like a part of myself that I don't like. I still want people to know that I found it first, uh, which is why I'd like to say right now on the podcast, for the record, I liked Walk the Moon, a whole <laughs> album before they were cool, and I heard Shut Up and I had Shut Up and Dance on vinyl before it had got to number one. Like I like six months before it got to number one, and I was like, oh my god, Shut Up and Dance! It's such a good song. Also. My favourite band has been the Mountain Goats for probably a decade now. And 
Fee especially, because we went to the same university, can confirm that every time I had a single drink, I would just be like, play the mountain goats! And now they're a TikTok trend, yeah. which is great. But I was <laughs> yeah. there. I, I have been, you know, telling people to play the mountain goats for a decade now. And she Me did try and make us listen to it. <laughs> that was that was ugly. So, that was so we, ugly we can confirm this. Um, yeah, do you remember this <laughs> going to see um, John Green's convention in Leicester Square the what is Paper Towns when Paper Towns and we were like in the line we were we were queuing up waiting for ages and then we got to our seats which was very high up we were we were really high up in those seats and Tara and John Green and Nat were all little dots <laughs> but we were there and they were breathing and we were like yeah. right in the back I probably That's if I look back I've probably still got the ticket booking emails that was the first time I ever used Eventbrite. Yeah, we came straight from school and got in that queue. And we were, like, really far back. So I suspect that the people at the front of the queue were teenagers who'd played hooky. Like, they had not gone to school that day. That's the only explanation for people getting there sooner than us. Who, like, who goes to school in <laughs> central London? God forbid. That's sort of the book that completely defined our teenage years, at least for me. You know, I look back and I think, yeah, no, that was my John Green phase. Can I ask <laughs> a quick question, actually? Did you guys know John Green on the YouTube side before you you, you read his books or anything? Or was it you read his books and then realised he was on YouTube as well? I'm pretty sure I liked... Yeah. Do you guys remember Charlie is so cool like? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I watched his videos a little bit and I was sort of and I'm also um Starkid. I was I sort of knew of oh, Starkid. Yeah. So I sort of, of course, yeah. I knew YouTube channels that were sort of around the Vlogbrothers channel. And mm. then I went to a sleepaway camp and uh was very homesick and was lent a copy of Paper Towns by one of the girls in my dorm and she left a note in it. Like, she said, keep the copy. And she left a note in it saying, oh, hey, you should check out John Green on YouTube. And so I read Paper Towns first and then I found him on YouTube. And then I... Uh, then I read Looking for Alaska and that was why I pre-ordered The Fault in Our Stars. I'm pretty sure it came out January 10th. And... I had got it, like, I've, I made my parents give me an IOU as a Christmas present. I thought it would also be fun to talk about the sort of defining books of our childhood. Uh, starting with you, Fee. Mm, I have two words for you. Jacqueline Wilson. <laughs> that woman was a god to me at that time. I think Jacqueline Wilson was the first author that, like... I would read her books divert like at like beyond the reading scheme books that I was given. You know, I, I read her by yeah. choice, not by force. You know? Yeah. And that was like my first it was an automatic buy. Yeah. Like as soon as I even like when she came out with her biography book, I was like, how old was I? I was probably like nine. I was I never read a biography. <laughs> <laughs> Whose life am I going to read about at nine? 
But I read about Jacqueline Wilson's <laughs> life. Okay, granted, I didn't really finish it. I was, <laughs> you know, I was like, what happened to, what about Tracy Beaker? What happened to her? But Tracy Beaker, the Tracy Beaker books were what started it for me. And um, I thought, mm-hmm. I just like, I, I watched the TV series on uh, CBBC and I'd watch it after school. And the weird thing is, is that Tracy Beaker is like the antithesis of my personality. Like we are nothing alike at all. Maybe, maybe the curly hair, but even then I, my curly hair is nowhere near hers. And I, um, but I just loved her and I thought she was such a rebel. She was so cool. And like, yeah, you tell Justine Littlewood to bugger off i was gonna say fuck off but i mean you can she didn't she didn't have that vocabulary yet i was gonna say you can tell justine littlewood to fuck off tracy beaker couldn't just tracy beaker could not no. but i was really invested in those stories and i remember actually going to so my dad took me to foils and it, take, it took me to a big foils um the huge one in was London. like Near, near the motorway or something like that yeah at the time it was no, not the central london oh one. wow it was near the m1 it's near the m1 i think mm, i don't know that one do you know where i'm oh, talking okay. about it's near you, it was it was close to a toys r us oh that's um, that's a good north shopping. london way yeah okay yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean we went to foils and then we went to toys r us i best day of my life probably um anyway so we went to foils and actually we were there for the harry potter book like the last one and my dad was like you can choose like any other book you want to get like i'm getting the harry potter book for us and stuff and like but you can choose another book to get and i was like okay give me half an hour like let me just look around and i was like running around the kids section and I found um, this book, this hardback book by Jacqueline Wilson. And it was all the Tracy Beaker stories oh, um, in one book. It was like the Tracy Beaker collection in one book, one big book. And I still have it on my bookshelf. And um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to I've got to get this. Um, because all the Tracy Beaker books that I'd read were from my little primary school library. Mm-hmm. So I had to give them back. And I was like, but I want to reread it. Um, and I took it out and I opened it and I literally could scream foils down at, because <laughs> I found out. I saw there in blue ink her signature and she'd like signed like like 2000 copies of this book. And I felt like Aladdin yeah. in a cave and he's found a lamp. I was like, this, this is what I need. So I ran to my dad and I was like, this book, please. <laughs> I just, that sounds like such a magical moment. It was. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, not only you were told one book only and you found an omnibus, like, you know, but then it's signed as well. That's That's know. like, that's like, you know. That's the perfect. You can only buy one book. I, I'm getting excited just hearing that story. Mm, that and uh, that was my origin story as a reader. I'm sure it was amazing. Do you remember? It was a magical sometimes moment. you would go on Blue Peter. 
and she, Jacqueline Wilson, not Tracy Beaker. And she would always talk about how every time she wrote a she wrote a book or published a book, she would buy her, herself a ring. And eventually, like every appearance, she'd just come with entire fingers stacked with rings and you'd just be like, this is the coolest woman in the world. Yeah. And you know what? I think I, she must have written so many books. I think I took that subconsciously because I love like all like loads of rings on my fingers. And like mm-hmm. I yeah. And I was probably trying to channel Jacqueline Wilson, and it's 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 a, yeah. it's a look. Tell you a what, with Wilson the pod is my look. witness. When you publish your first book, I will buy you a ring. Oh, I'm holding you to that, Annie. <laughs> I was going to say you've now got recorded evidence, uh, Sophie. You will always you will also get a book present, obviously. obviously yeah. But rings aren't <laughs> your thing. You're not going for the like the stacks Jacqueline Wilson effect. We will get yeah. you the nicest. Yeah you know, whatever, notebook, the mm-hmm. nicest pen, a typewriter. Yeah. If you want. We'll go all perks of being a wallflower and get you a typewriter. Uh, you can go splitsies on a typewriter and then you can feel like Hemingway. Um, oh. By the way, I will get you a mojito. Guys... Oh, wait, a virgin mojito. <laughs> you guys did not laugh enough as with Pod as my witness. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, I missed that. <laughs> it, it it was too good for us. I'm oh, sorry. It went over our heads. Yeah, you just you blanked over. I, I'm going to use that now regularly. Obviously, mm. I won't expect such a big laugh every time, but with Pod as my witness is now, you know. Oh, <laughs> you know when you write a joke so good that you feel like I can just sit down for the rest of the day now. You know. Someone asks yeah. me what did you do today, I'll just be like, "Yep, yeah, with Podder's my witness," and they'll be like, ha, 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 ha. "You can have like tea and a biscuit now. You're done." <laughs> <sighs> I I have a real job as well. I don't just sit up, sit and make puns. That yeah, that's not how I pay the rent. I yeah, that's called a comedian. No, I don't think I could cope with being a comedian because I specifically oh, like jokes that make other people groan. That's not a you know. <laughs> There's a very niche market for liking telling jokes that make other people miserable. You should you should go into the Christmas cracker business. Actually, yeah, it's a good market for you. Yeah. So yeah, Tracy Beaker, that was my favourite. That was that was my gal. Yeah. Sophie, what was your sort of defining childhood book? Okay, so I decided to be kind of basic for our generation and go with Harry Potter like I had a really hard time kind of thinking of which book to decide I had like three on my list one of them is coincidentally the one that Annie is going to talk about um but yeah in the end when I like I look back at just like which stories did I reread the most like which fan like which world did I most want to like live in It it was Harry Potter like um I kind of grew up listening to those books my mum like used to read them to me and my brother when we were little and then obviously like you know by that point we just started like following the series and stuff and then also I I'm like really bad at sleeping I can't like shut my brain off at night it's like I I lie down and then my brain is just like ah here are all the thoughts that you don't want to think about so as a little kid I had to like listen to audiobooks to fall asleep and the audiobooks that I played to death were the tapes that I had of (laughs) Harry Potter narrated by Stephen Fry and like I listened to them so much that the tapes started 
I think it was the third book, which was always my favourite. Some of the tapes started to like wear out, and then we had to oh, like. Oh, the third book is the best. Yeah, it is. It is just objectively the best. And then we had to like re-record them onto new tapes, yeah. which mm-hmm. is probably illegal, but whatever. Um, but yeah, no, like the. <laughs> I mean, who, who cares, right? <laughs> um, I just feel sorry. I just had a sidebar. I'm like, oh my god, we're talking about tapes. God damn, we're old. Like. These weren't even CDs. Yeah. I was listening to cassette tapes, like oh such an obsolete medium now. But anyway, yeah. Um, oh yeah, audio cassette tapes. That's how audio books. God, do you remember how many tapes there were in like yes. a box of you know, like especially when you got up to the fifth and the sixth, it would just be like this huge thing. Yeah, they would like. I think the fifth yeah. one had to come in like two separate like boxes, each of them with like eight tapes within. It was just like. I have told you guys that when we were kids, we had an audiobook of Pride and Prejudice that our parents would just play as we were driving around. And then one day our car got broken into. But we think it was interrupted like midway through them starting to search through the glove compartment. So they just took tapes three and four of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> That's all oh they my got. Gosh. And sometimes I like. I hope they listened to them, you know? I hope that was their pathway from <laughs> car thievery into great literature, you know? <laughs> I hope it was worth it, because... Yeah, their literature origin story. Imagine, like, yeah, you get back to wherever when they, you know, you do were. a podcast about reading, their John Green is going to be tapes three and four of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> <sighs> no. I sort of, I don't think it's basic to choose Harry Potter. I think it's more like... If we're thinking about books that defined our childhood, one of us had to talk about Harry Potter yeah. because. Oh yeah, it defined a generation, like two probably, three on the way. It defined a generation, but also like I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Harry Potter was such a touchstone. Like I remember when I was younger, Harry Potter being. It, a... it was just like so large for like our entire like generation. Oh, yeah. it's so it, huge. it was like yeah. still, it's still huge. Everyone was just reading it in a way that, like, I don't think I've seen with kind of any other books since then. That just like everybody was reading it as a kid. Yeah, that was, and it's one of the only ones. Like, even with the films coming out, the mm. books still sell yeah. the, at the rate they do. Like, it, it, it's insane that kind of phenomenon that that Harry Potter has i guess because it still has it also i don't know if you guys had this but as a socially awkward child who liked reading it was so good to have harry potter as something that you could trot out that like everyone knew and everyone loved it was a bonding thing so many people had like cinema birthday parties to go see the films and stuff like that and it, it was just oh my god it's always useful Things that define a generation are kind of useful for socially awkward children because if you like it and everyone else that's likes tragic. it, that's that's handy, you know? Do you remember like mm. the crowds of Harry Potters that would come in on World Book Day? Oh my gosh. Oh, you just see at least one person dressed up as 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 a Hogwarts student. I remember my brother's school, because they were an all-boys oh, yeah. school, they were like, You are not allowed to dress up as Harry Potter. And my brother was like kind of annoyed because he kind of looked like he was small he had messy dark hair and glasses so he was like 
this is the perfect opportunity for me. I don't have to put in any effort. I could dress up as Harry Potter <laughs> and the school were like, no. <laughs> Be more creative. That's unfair. That's that's just unfair. Yeah. And um Yeah. Does anyone else have Harry Potter Lego? My brother did. Yes. And the problem with Harry Potter Lego is every single set comes with a little Harry Potter figurine. And so if you collect four or five, you'll have like one Ron, one Hermione, and five <laughs> Harry Potters. Harry Potter was a great, great book series. I mean, it just transported everyone <gasps> out of reality yeah. and into a place just more. It's a, it's like yeah. a, it, it was such a comforting read mm-hmm. about friendship and magic yeah. and just being completely taken into a different world that you felt comfortable in and what's weird reading them now is that they're so (laughs) in many ways they're about accepting difference and liking everyone for who they are yeah and it's so weird reading them now and thinking god she jk rowling has really gone downhill ethically like she is no longer someone who values difference and letting people be who they are yeah she really did not get the message yeah. of her own books yeah the, the irony is 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 quite mm. i guess amusing in like a not fun way you're reading it you're like wow i mean it was though it is evident in her own writing yeah the the kind of you know opinions she had yeah of, some of some of it is now that, that was there yeah it's it's not like there are there are parts of it that because I've been starting to re-listen to the audiobooks. I do this like every so often. I'm like I need audiobooks to listen to, so I just go yeah. back and listen to Harry Potter. And I'm like I'm on the third book, and it is like you do get to some point, and you're just like, okay, yeah, this is not the best. Uh, she's she's very kind of white children's author, but also just I think quite difficult at the times, kind of then. That just like these white authors were not thinking about like anything other than kind of just putting what they know. Because I think the same is a bit true. I think of Jacqueline kind of Wilson even like I don't know how much diversity there was in our literature because I guess people weren't really bothered about yeah. it then. Wasn't there wasn't thing? much racial diversity, but there was class diversity. Yeah, she was really good at like class and portraying yeah. different types of family setups outside your typical two parents married type thing she did a really good job kind of with that but there you know there were still kind of other kind of issues i think it just it does show kind of how much priorities have changed they're very that's a very sort of late 90s early 2000s new labor thing isn't it you know i think it was starting to be (laughs) as a society we were starting to talk about this advantage in class in a way that i don't know we've sort of lost now i'm not sure that we're still doing that so much like because you have ron in harry potter and jacqueline wilson obviously was really yeah. good at mm. at making sure all sort of all different situations and levels of privilege were represented in her books well the thing is is that it was dominated by white authors like the it, you, you, like the best-selling authors were all white yeah like with the exception of mallory so you, yeah. what they what what has to happen is is uplifting more um authors uh who are different racial um identities and yeah. so their stories their voices are at the forefront of these bookshops 
so that people can read a diverse selection and not just you know the same not the same narrative but the same perspective yeah yeah so I chose for my sort of um, childhood book uh one that I think Sophie mentioned as well and it is Atticus the Storyteller's 100 Greek Myths and I I read it it was like this big presentation book and it had loads of great pictures and I would have been about what eight seven or eight and I just read it over and over and over again starts right with like Greek creation myths and then sort of tells you all the big all the big ones in sort of fairly child sanitized versions all the way to um the Trojan War and like <laughs> looking at my life now I did Greek and Latin at GCSE I wasn't allowed to do them at A level but I did do them at GCSE and now you know a significant part of my job is I work on translation of the Aeneid I'm still dealing with these myths and I'm still bringing them up in my teaching as well every so often like you'll read a poem especially in the Renaissance and you'll just have to be like oh and we've got a reference to Achilles here anyone I think it gave me such a deep and abiding love of myth and mythology and specifically classics and so many obviously in my line of work I come into a lot of people who are now doing careers in classics or did degrees in classics and so many of them started with Atticus the Storyteller's 100 Greek Myths. I think it's really important for kids to have omnibus books like books that have a lot of short big books with good pictures and a lot of short mm. stories that they can read by themselves and you can read to them like and like that is I think the best kind of book for a small child especially as a gift like I got it when I was five from my, my aunt and mm. uncle and it's like the kind of book where you can read a story and then you don't you can like stop and then you can just pick up back where you left off and that's a really good way if you're a little kid to just kind of and then you don't really have to remember what happened beforehand so you mm. can kind of just like engage at your own pace I guess is the thing yeah yeah and also like thinking about my life now obviously so I'm mm. a academic I, I work on translations of Virgil I'm yeah. still sort of sometimes using the same sort of stories and motifs and stuff that I sort of first encountered in Atticus the storyteller like I still have like the love of Greek mythology and classical languages is something that I sort of kept up my whole life in fact later on talking to people especially who studied classics at university a lot of kids who didn't necessarily have the opportunity to do Latin and Greek at school sort of knew they loved the topic and wanted to study it in part because of books like Atticus the Storyteller it was such a good like introduction to Greek myths yeah um I thought I feel like kids are introduced to Greek mythology quite early on. Like Greek mythology is kind of the starting point of storytelling, for, for in a sense, like a Western it? perspective. Yeah, yeah, from the Western perspective, it is. Yeah, my introduction to Greek mythology, reading wise, was um, this little book I found about like the Greek. Um, like ancient Greek civilization mm -hmm. in um, 
in my school library and like that's when I learned about all the gods and goddesses and and I was like wow this is amazing this is so cool like they have stories yeah well I think myths are sort of good for children because they're stories that are designed to be short and engaging and Mm. were originally told aloud anyway we have nattered on for almost a full hour (laughs) um and only talked about you know John Green and then one book each so um do let us know if you'd like more of this because we can always talk about you know other books that defined us or children's nostalgia children's book nostalgia in general so leave us a comment on instagram uh that's it for this episode this week uh thank you all for listening um you can find us on instagram at the book table podcast uh where we often give you updates on what we're all reading Speaking of, our book club book for the month of November is Once Upon a River by Diane Satterfield. Um, We wanted a cosy November book, and this was Sophie's pick. Please feel free to read along, and we'll be discussing all about the book in our monthly book club episode, which will probably be in the last week of November. Next week, we're going to be doing our book news episode, so please comment on Instagram if there's any big book news you want us to discuss. All right. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.